Welcome to the Open Sea Podcast. Here at Open Sea, we recognize that the Bible was written in languages full of richness and beauty. Our goal is to explore the beauty of the New Testament, written in ancient Greek, that can sometimes become obscured in English translations. We desire to bridge the gap of scholarship and make these conversations about biblical Greek accessible to all curious people. Whether you have studied Greek for years or you are embarking on this journey today, all are welcome to take a seat at the table. Welcome to the Open Seat Podcast, episode 13. My name is Olivia Madrid, and I'm here with my friends, Caitlin McCracken. Hello, hello. And Cade Robertson. Hey, everyone. And today we have a special guest, Caitlin's pastor, uh, Ryan Wassel, who's joining us. What's up, everyone? Yeah, we are just going to kind of ask him some questions about um, like being a pastor, going to seminary, and just kind of how Greek contributes to like those areas of his life. So to start with, I would like to know, what is everybody's favorite cereal? I don't eat cereal much anymore, <laughs> but man, there's several really good ones, but I think the the king of cereal has to be Cinnamon Toast Crunch, right? I just mm. think Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the best cereal. Mm. I'm going to have to beg to differ on that one. Uh, I am a Honey Nuttos girl. Yeah, mm. just basic, <laughs> but so good. Each of, each of you would do well in our home because Honey Nuttos and CTC, as it's called in our home, mm. is ah. quite popular. So I like CTC, especially in the evening after the kids go down. Yeah, uh, eat about two bowls. So uh, that's what I like too. It's so. a pretty good dessert, rather than breakfast. Like, yeah, I don't know about breakfast, evening. but in the dirt, dessert is nice. Yeah, yeah it's oh. pretty good. That's really good. Okay, I am a Captain Crunch type that's of gal. So I don't know. I don't that's eat good. cereal also very often, but it's like it's the cereal we always brought camping, and my dad always has it at home, so it's just kind of the like go-to cereal. Now, is that the Captain Crunch with the berries or just the plain Captain Crunch? Mm, I like both. Okay. I like uh, both. Yeah. It depends. Have you tried I'll the eat the ones? berries. There's like a. Where it's just berries? No, there's a like just the, berries there's like a one. peanut butter one. I oh, yeah. I don't like those. Never those ones aren't good. That's kind of weird. Never in my life. Never. Uh-uh. Caitlin. I know. I don't think I bought any last year at all. No, I don't think it's ever been in our house. <laughs> I don't either. I don't know. Well, I'll have to try it. Yeah. Well, Ryan, we always start this off by, I always say, who the heck are you? (laughs) And we'll start that with, what are the top three essential things for people to know about you? Yeah. So uh, I am Ryan Wassel. I'm married to Jamie. Uh, We have four wonderful kids. So that's probably the first thing that I'm married with a wonderful family. Uh, Leighton, Hallie, Riken, and London. And um, London came a little later than we expected, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm a pastor at Calvary Redeeming Grace Church, uh, where Caitlin is a member, and uh, so love her and our church there. Um, so that's two. Uh, maybe the third thing. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Uh, I guess, um, what else did you know about me? I don't know. Um, I love <laughs> sports and backpacking, hiking, reading theology books, um, and Greek from time to time. So, yep. Who's nice. your favorite theologian off the top of your head? Dead or alive? <laughs> Either. Okay. 
Uh, probably the guy I'm reading uh, currently, but uh, whoever I'm reading currently is probably the guy. But uh, probably overall, I'd probably have to say John Owen from the 17th century. Mm. Yeah, he's just, uh, I think he matches doctrinal depth with such a warm, uh, affectionate, experiential um, side of things as well. And the Puritans do that as well, you know, as a whole. So John Owen, I think, really represents know, the heartbeat of what I want to be like as a Christian and as a pastor, a theologian. His book, Communion with God, um, I think just shaped the way I think about God um, and uh, really impacted me personally. So, um, yeah, probably John Owen, but, you know, I like them all. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So the next couple questions we normally ask are work and church, which <laughs> are kind of the same for you, and we'll get more into that later. Um, but last one, if you want to touch on real quick, what's your experience with Greek? Yeah, so I um, I did, when I did seminary, I went to the master's seminary from 08 to 12. Uh, I did uh, two and a half years of both Greek and Hebrew. So I did uh, a beginning course in Greek, which was called Gladiator Greek, one of those intensive, you know, <laughs> beginner courses that they're all, you know, uh, that they all have. And then I did uh, mounts for advanced Greek or intermediate, I think, one of those. And then after that, after my two years of kind of grammar, uh, things like that, I did a Romans exegesis course um, at the Master Seminary with Dr. Farnell, which was, uh, which was phenomenal. So that was my beginning. That's how I started was in seminary. And then I've tried to keep up with it, uh, throughout the years. Uh, so it's been, you know, 11 years. So I use it uh, when I can in the ministry, which is often. So, yeah. Well, since we're already talking about seminary stuff, we should just move into kind of like that portion. So, yeah, where did you go and kind of what was your overall experience at seminary? Yeah, good question. So I went to the Master's Seminary, which is in Burbank, California. Um, At that time, I was living in Santa Barbara with my wife and uh, Jamie and a couple of kids. And so I would, we didn't want to leave our local church. So I commuted down to the master's seminary, um, uh, to go, uh, to get trained there, uh, to be a minister. So I spent four years getting my MDiv, uh, there at TMS. Um, my experience, yeah, I think it's, um, it was good, uh, in some ways and, um, maybe difficult in other ways. Uh, the good things were that, uh, the master seminary prized preaching. They prized the languages, uh, Greek and Hebrew. Um, they prized a high view of God, uh, the local church, uh, scripture. So in those ways, I really, I really enjoyed my experience. I had some, uh, made some deep and profound friends there as well that I still talk to to this day. So that was, that was great. Um, the difficult things was that theologically, uh, TMS was a little bit out of my comfort zone, uh, though, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. But um, they were they were dispensational, well, they still are, I guess. <laughs> They're dispensational, premillennial, and pre-trib, which was not my theological <laughs> persuasion. Uh, so, you know, having been covenantal, or having still be covenantal, and amillennial in the way I interpret scriptures, um, and my eschatological views, you know, I think classes were a challenge at times, but I still appreciate mm-hmm. what the Lord did in my life there. Um, and so, 
yeah, I, I look forward to further education, but maybe that's down there. Maybe we can talk about that later. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that was my experience. Yeah. Um, just kind of going off of that, like the before portion, what led you to decide to go to seminary and kind of go that route? <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question as well. That's a long story, so I'll, maybe I'll keep it brief, and if you guys want to unpack it, then, then yeah. go for it. But um, yeah, it essentially started when I became a believer at the age of 19 uh, at Sonoma State University when I was playing basketball there. Um, long story short, my brother Nick and my good friend Jason were sharing the gospel with me, um, and through the preaching of the gospel uh, by them, uh, came to understand uh, my need for Christ. Uh, the, just the the fact that, and I'll just tell you one little thing that really caught my, um, I guess caught my heart was the doctrine of imputation, that, that Christ would love the sinner, that my sin would be counted to Christ, and then his righteousness counted to me. Mm-hmm. That was really what overwhelmed me uh, in their presentation of the gospel, if you can call it that. But mm-hmm. anyways, became a believer at 19, Immediately, I love to share the gospel, uh, do evangelism. Um, um, and from there, I transferred to Westmont College down in, down in Santa Barbara, uh, graduated with a BA in re- religious studies because I just wanted to read the Bible more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Not wasn't exactly what I thought it would be at Westmont, but, um, but I, when I graduated, uh, I kind of had this idea that perhaps seminary or, or pastoral ministry was in my future. Um, I wasn't quite sure. Uh, so I, when I got, when I graduated Westmont, I got married to Jamie and I was a finished carpenter for a year and a half. I was just like, I got to pay the bills. Uh, you know, money doesn't (laughs) drop out of the sky. Uh, so I didn't, and I was, I really wasn't sure about, about pastoring. I just thought that was really, um, kind of too lofty of a, of a goal or to, to aspire to. So, Throughout that year and a half of doing carpentry, I approached, I just kind of had this sense of, this is not what I should be doing with my life. Um, that was, my, you know, my personal kind of inward call. They talk about an inward call and an external call to the ministry. That was kind of the inter- in, internal call. Um, and I went to the pastors there, the elders, and I said, here's what I'm thinking, you know, um, I think there's a call in my life to to be a pastor, uh, to shepherd the flock, to preach the gospel, exalt Christ, but I, I don't want to do this, I you know, um, on my own intuition mm-hmm. uh, or my own desire. I really seek your guys' counsel. And so by that time, I was in, in, invested and involved in the church, and the elder said, no, we, we see that same call upon your life. So mm-hmm. I went and got trained, and that's where I went to the master seminary. I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't want to be in the, in the church in the ministry without being properly trained or formally trained. Not that you have to be, but that's what I sought to do. And so I went to, went to seminary. So, uh, does that answer your question, Olivia? I forget your, the, yeah. the beginning no, question. No, no, no. Yeah. So. It was just the, how you got to deciding seminary. That was great. Yeah. 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 I think it's really important that, that you have people in your life, especially elders who can really mm-hmm. confirm that call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've got a question because mm-hmm. I identified with a lot of what you were saying it's like for me right now, um, I'm in this in-between state of like, was a biblical studies major at mm-hmm. CCU. Uh, right now I'm working at a bank in downtown Denver as a personal banker, um, but just feel like this 
just heavy call in my life to do ministry. Like, I just want to help answer people's questions about God and just help them know God better, mm-hmm. help them follow Jesus better. Um, and, like, that's what I want to do with my life. I'm, like, confident I want to go to seminary still, but, like, there's just a lot of um, struggling to figure out what contentment and, like, what peace mm-hmm. in, like, this period of life looks like because mm-hmm. I kind of feel like I'm caught between a rock and a hard place mm-hmm. of, like, I'm not fully, like, doing what I feel like God has placed on my, like, the call God has placed on my life. So, like, maybe for me and, like, for other people that are listening, like, how did you, like, did you experience that when you were, be, when you were a carpenter for that year and a half? Mm-hmm. And, like, how did you um, wrestle with that? Yeah. So, um, there was a moment uh, when I was walking down to the job site and I had my lunch pail in one, in my, one hand and my drill on the other hand. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm providing for the family. And it's, it's a great job. I love, you know, the guys I work with. And, I'm, and I just was like walking down to the job site. And I thought, I don't think this is what I should be doing in my life. Mm. And, um, and I just had that sense of um, I, I am so um, overwhelmed with pleasure and joy in God when I'm ministering the word. Mm. And... That's true probably of every Christian, though, right? So, um, at least I, ho- I hope so, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, what kind of is the, what, what's the, what's the difference, I would say? I, I think the difference would be approaching your pastors and saying, is there, is there a call here? Is there a gifting? And hopefully, for, so, Cade, where do you go to church? I'm at Storyline right now okay. in Arvada. Yeah. So, for, and for Cade, for anybody who's listening, really, I would I would throw yourself headlong into the local church, which, which you probably are. And if you're not, you should be. <laughs> um, be a member and just be invested and begin to exercise what you see to be a gift or desire at this point. And uh, as you do that, continue to seek the Lord in prayer. Um, come to the pastors. Hey, may there be a call in my life. Get mentored by your pastors. Have them know you. Uh, personally, um, because what you want, the two things that are critical to a minister is his character and his competency. You want, you want your elders to know you, your character and also your competency. Is, is, is he competent with the word? Is there sound doctrine present when he preaches? And is there you know, a godliness to his life? So um, I, I advise younger guys, we have, we have a pastoral residency in our church. There's nine guys in there. Not all of them are going to be pastors, but some may. And uh, I advise them, get, get involved in the church as much as you can. Serve whenever you can, wherever you can, anywhere. You know, bug the pastors. Can I go with you do evangelism? Can I go to the hospital with you? Can I, what, what can I do um, to be involved in the ministry of the church? And through that process, weeks, months, years, uh, God begins to shape a man, I think, to call him to ministry or not. And that's going to become evident to you as you and to your listeners as they get invested in the church. And it's also become evident to your elders as well. So um, when you're in that rock and a hard place, serve anywhere and everywhere and begin to exercise what you see to be a gift and a desire and see what the Lord does with that. And that's the greatest thing about, you know, the call, you know, um, air quotes, is that it's really not up to you. It's, to the, it's in the Lord's hands. And so throw yourself at it, you know? And if you're called to it, great. If not, churches need sound and solid lay elders, deacons, and 
and just leaders, maybe who may not hold an office, but that's how a local church grows with such great help. Caitlin here is part of our missions task force. She's not an elder, obviously. She's not a deacon, but um, she's a, a phenomenal servant of, of Christ in our church who plays a big-time role. Um, so that's kind of how I would flesh that out. I don't know. Kate, does that help? Yeah, it helps. Um, it's also encouraging, too, because like me personally, that's kind of what I'm trying to do right now. Mm-hmm. I am interning at my church. Oh, great. There eight to ten hours a week. Great. Um, I've gotten to be involved with like teaching kids. And mm-hmm. so um, sitting in with pastors and sitting in on meetings and just kind of seeing how the church is operating and then next going into next semester, the pastor I'm working with, we're trying to figure out, I mean, by the time this episode comes out, hopefully we have figured <laughs> out. <laughs> but at the time of this recording, like trying to figure out like a specific area for me to really like lean into. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in a home group. I'm going to men's Bible study. So I, yeah, it's encouraging because I it, it, I feel like I am leaning into my local church as much as I can right now. Good. So as yeah. you should. I I uh, just for example, I did kids first off. I mean, that's where I started was teaching kids. And they say if you can teach kids, you can teach anybody mm-hmm. because you really got to make it simple. Mm-hmm. You know, not well simplicity, but not being too simple. Um, clear, most of the time, brief, somewhat. You know. Yeah. And if you can do that, I mean, that's what really sharpens. Your preaching and your teaching, I think, is to really make it concise and clear. If you can do that for kids, you can do that for anybody. Yeah. Um, the only difference of what I do, say, on the Lord's Day morning uh, for a sermon than, you know, say, youth Sunday school is just it's a little longer. <laughs> um, but really, you're doing the same thing. And so I did a youth internship there. Uh, I was mentored by the two pastors there in a, in a major way in Santa Barbara. Um, so... Yeah, just keep keep doing what you're doing, Kate. And for anyone listening out there, invest, invest, invest in the local church and see, because uh, that's how that's 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 the body of people, the congregation and the elders. That's the people that will recognize your gifts. Um, so that it, let's say the church does send you out to church plant or or missionary or something like that, the the congregation they're not surprised. They're saying, oh yeah, Kate has been serving in this number of ways, and it mm-hmm. makes sense. So. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a surprise, probably not a good thing. So. <laughs> good advice. Yeah. Since this is a Greek podcast, um, just curious your time at seminary, uh, studying Greek and kind of what that, I know you talked about it a little bit more, but what that looked like, what you enjoyed, maybe what was harder, I don't know, just kind of experience in that area. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, so I had to take an English test before you could take a Greek class. That's actually brilliant. Um, yeah. And I would have I, failed that for sure. Would not I, have been able to take which Greek. Which I did fail it. <laughs> that would be me 100%. I was like, what is a participle? Uh, you know, what's a, what's a direct object? Uh, so. Yeah, I joke. I joke that Greek like gave me now an understanding of like the English language yes. grammar because I'm like yes. only through Greek do I now understand what this means. Yes, yeah, my Greek absolutely. Yeah, my Greek helped my English um, by far. Yep. So yeah, I had to te- I had to pass an English refresher course first, and I failed that first. <laughs> so I then had to study English to to pass the English course or the English test, which I did the second time, and then. I got into Greek. Um, 
Yeah, I think some of the some of the joys uh, I have in Greek and I had, especially in seminary, was as you guys know, the Greek language is so um, it's elegant, you know, it's mm-hmm. and it's beautiful how they write, and you can really pick up on styles. Mm-hmm. You can pick up on emphasis. I think of the author, what he's trying to do, what he's doing. Um, I guess if you're paying attention, uh, <laughs> you can uh, hopefully grasp what he's trying to do. Um, but I think the joys of just um, learning what the author is emphasizing, and I, I thought that was that was beautiful. Um, and uh, so that was one of my joys about just, uh, I thought participles, and this might be super nerdy, but I thought participles were like, once I understood like participles, I was like, okay, <laughs> everyone's got to learn Greek. You know? <laughs> um, and because partly because participles, they unpack so much that, mm-hmm. they, you know, the author just squeezes, you know, they're like a sponge, you know? Mm-hmm. And once you, once you start mm-hmm. pulling a participle apart, you're just like unringing the sponge, you know, mm-hmm. all this truth just comes out. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, actually, when you're, when you're pastoring or preaching, sometimes your points are off of the participles because the participles mm-hmm. are unpacking, you know, the subject or the main verb, um, depending how it's structured. But um, anyways, those are some of the joys of just learning, um, what the author is doing. And also, let me add to that, is that I learned that how much the New Testament authors um, are pulling from the Old Testament scriptures, the Greek mm. Septuagint, you know, mm-hmm. and just learning how much uh, steep they were into that tradition and watching, just seeing how the New Testament uh, is written uh, on the on the shoulders of the old and watching the authors pull from, allude to, maybe not directly quote all the time, but allude to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was like, oh man, like, so biblical theology, you know, is getting there and like your systematics is growing. And so anyways, um, some of the joy, some of the challenges, uh, I remember being in Gladiator Greek and just being so overwhelmed. And we were, we started with nouns, you know, obviously the alphabet that we got into nouns. <laughs> and then like, we moved to, to verbs all of a sudden. And I, I was so underwater at this point, and I saw my professor walking through the hallways one time. I was like, you're asking us to, to parse um, verbs, but like, when did we make the transition to verbs? I'm like, I'm parsing nouns. And he goes, Wassel, you decline nouns, oh. not parse. Like, so that's the problem. <laughs> uh, so I was, like, I was like a month behind, you know? Um, oh. And I was just like... Idiot, you know? um, but yeah, it's just, you get thrown at the deep end, you know, and uh, you just, you're way over your head. So um, those are some of the challenges, but uh, you know, challenges also now is time. You know, I would like to spend more time in, in the Greek language is partly why I listen to you guys' podcast, which is the, the last podcast I listened to on uh, the grammar was very helpful. Mm, so thanks. keep it up. <laughs> yeah. I, my grammar is slipping. So, uh, I use too much accordance, mm. so we, maybe we can talk about that later. But, um, anyways, uh, yeah, you guys are laughing, so I must be saying something wrong. I don't oh, know. Right. <laughs> no, we're just. All right. 
No, yeah. vocab was, I feel like, was one of the hardest mm. things for oh, me, man. too, because that's just sheer memory. Yeah. Mm. At least I could try and learn, like, the mm. systems of declining nouns and parsing verbs, but, like, vocab, to, like, look at the See, word that's and push the, word it is. See, that's the one thing I was able to do. I'm like, vocab, I can memorize it. It's like, you know, you got the stem, I got it. And yeah. then, again, all the grammar pieces, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's tough stuff, so... So how, since seminary, like you've been a pastor for, you said almost 10 years mm-hmm, now, mm-hmm. does Greek play like a consistent role in your preparation for Sunday morning sermons? Um, and like, how do you continue to use Greek today? Yeah, Greek does. We just finished Colossians as a church before Advent. And so uh, Greek does play, did play a part in my Colossians study. I typically try to hit the Greek text running on Tuesdays. Uh, Monday's my day off, mm-hmm. so... Uh, I feel like I got hit by a truck on Monday morning, so sometimes, so I take a little <laughs> bit to get going. So Tuesdays is when I kind of hit the ground running, um, and I look at the Greek for sure. Uh, Colossians is a little bit easier than, you know, say Hebrews, which we did mm. a little while ago. And so mm. uh, it does play a role, um, absolutely. Um, like I said, it, I think it helps structure the text. I think it helps uh, get the main point of of the text, obviously, which would be the main point of your sermon. And that's, that's really where I, I like the languages. Um, once you get what you think Paul is saying uh, with, you know, let's say that pericope or whatnot, that, that paragraph or sentence you're going to preach on, um, I, I, think it's, I think the main point comes just right at you in the original languages, whether it be Hebrew or Greek. Uh, English, it's a little harder. But Greek, it's like, oh, you know, that word is thrown there. So, you know, wow, he's, maybe that's it for emphasis. So, get the main point and then it's and then it's off to the races then you're i guess you're using accordance from there but uh, maybe not um <laughs> no but uh yeah you're 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 seeing what the what paul is doing you know uh, with the greek text and uh, yeah it plays a major role i try not to spend too much time uh once i feel like i got a good grasp of it um maybe for a couple of hours uh, i'm working with the greek text um i uh switch to the english and and kind of go from there but uh, if I have a further questions that I want to track down later on in the week, um, like, you know, for example, we had a question, I emailed Caitlin a couple weeks ago, a question, there's a middle voice in this, you know, in this <laughs> verb, and why is it a middle voice, you know, what's your thoughts? So I took the reflexive, you know, um, drip pan category mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, reflexive sense of it. But um, anyways, yeah, it does play a big role, and, and I encourage, I think you got to. I think you have to work with the original text. Uh, what was it, Luther, who said um, uh, the original languages are the sheath in which the sword of the Spirit rests? Mm-hmm. And um, I think he's exactly, he's exactly right. You really want to get a, um, well, if you can, a, a mastery of the original languages. That's hard to do and to keep with. But uh, yeah, it is, it is the sword of the Spirit in which the sheath, uh, or yeah, in which it rests. And so um, I think you got you to get after it. Yeah, that's so good. And just to like zoom out for a second, like remember why we're doing this podcast again is like because Greek made such a huge impact on us when we were studying in college and like exactly what you were just saying. I love that quote. I need to write it down and remember it. That Luther said the sword. Nope. Greek is the sword of the. Nope. What was <laughs> the, it again? The original, the, the original languages are the, are the sheath in which the sword of the spirit rests. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. Um, 
And I remember, again, we've mentioned this before, but our professor, Dr. Cotter, in school said translation is treason, which was like another <laughs> way harsher version of saying that, I think. But yeah. Yeah. I think it's true. I think it's so important. Um, I think more Christians need to at least know, like, some of the basics of Greek and Hebrew as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to getting to know that someday. Cause you're right. It's like, yeah. that's where, you know, the main point becomes more evident. We keep talking yeah. about the beauty of the Greek language in this podcast too. And like, it's just so important for more than just pastors to know. Absolutely. And I think my, just from personal experience, my love for Christ and my knowledge of God totally deepened when I came to understand or when I was working through the Greek text. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. thought it was like, you know, this was like a purely academic discipline. And I found my, I found my heart just warmed mm-hmm. by what was written there, you know, and um, what, what John or Paul or Luke are saying to us about our Lord. I just, I, I think I got teased way back when in Santa Barbara one time about just loving it, you know, and I think I got teased about loving the Greek <laughs> language, you know, I was like, no, really, I, I, you know, this is really enhancing my love for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, to all of you who aren't pastors, um, uh, you know, members of a church, um, if you can get a group together and study Greek. So, yeah, that's great advice. And I saw that in my own life yeah. too. Yeah. Just really deepened my love for the Lord love for his word. Um, so going back to you talking about preparing for Sunday sermons. Um, so you start with the Greek and then I know there's sometimes some pastors just like throw in random, like Greek definitions up on a screen and like add in the Greek into their sermons that way. And um, I feel like you do a really good job of having your prior study in the original languages, like just support your text as you were and your just topic and your main point um, as you're speaking. So how do you find that balance of like not just throwing out random Greek information that like might be cool to you and people who know Greek, but wouldn't be helpful for the listeners? Yeah, I, I take the, I take the John Calvin approach that he was an expert in the languages, but he rarely used the original languages mm-hmm. in his sermons mm-hmm. because he didn't want his people to be lost. Yeah, and I, I take the same approach. I think I think I think you guys heard of that. But I mean, your goal in in expositing God's word is to bring to bear the glory of Christ in His word upon the minds and hearts of your people. If they don't understand what you're saying because you're using yeah. Greek or Hebrew <laughs> a lot, and, and I mean, you're going to stunt that, right? You're going to stunt you know the presence of Christ coming to bear with them um, by His Spirit through His word. So. I, like you said, I, I, I treat the languages like a Dixie cup and I use it. Uh, it's a good, it's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use it on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, uh, and then I throw it away. Mm. You know, no one, you don't show people a Dixie cup, right? You know, um, it's a Dixie cup. It's a paper cup. You know, like you just use it and you throw it away. <laughs> um, so you, you don't show them now your people when you're preaching or teaching this goes for anybody in any kind of context at least in my opinion you don't necessarily show them all the time um your study um the words you know i'm working through monogamous right now you know the only begotten Mm. and i probably won't um well maybe i will use that term because it's such a an impactful term but um yeah you really want clarity and so um yeah, you wanna you wanna do your study, but bring that let the let the study inform your preaching, but not always not always show it, mm. um, because you really want to be clear and with simplicity, with some depth. So that's kind of my my approach. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Caitlin, you listen to it, so maybe it's a, maybe I should use more. But that's no, my question. <laughs> no, I do. I do think you do a really good okay. job because you can tell that like it's grounded in something that you've done, like all the study, but you don't necessarily just spew things yeah. <laughs> that don't make sense to people. Yeah. So yeah. Um, Ryan, is there any examples you have of times when you've been reading the Greek and it's either one just kind of like given more awe to like the Lord's word and just kind of enhanced your reading of that passage? Uh, yeah, good question. That that happens quite a bit actually uh, when you when you're working with the original text. Um, I'll just go from the example I'm using this Sunday for Christmas Eve service. I'm going to teach on John 1.14, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, it didn't hit me this week. I've, I've known about it for a while now, but uh, just, again, it, it enhanced my love, as you, as you said, Olivia, uh, my love for the Lord, again, because in verse 14, the word became flesh uh, and dwelt among us, that term... Um, what is it again? Let me look at it here. Don't judge my uh, my Greek here, guys. So, um, eskenosin, I think, is the term. That word is used um, in the Septuagint, I believe, uh, for tabernacled, or or he tented. Um, you can you can look at Greg Beal and D. A. Carson's uh, work on the New Testament use of the Old Testament, and they have this cited there. I think um, so. Basically, it's saying that our Lord. So Christ, the divine Son, became flesh. He assumed to himself human nature uh, in order to redeem fallen man and dwelt among us, or he tabernacled among us. So John is most likely alluding to the Exodus account and all really throughout the Old Mm -hmm. Testament of Christ fulfilling this temple imagery, this tabernacle imagery, uh, just as God dwelt with his people in the wilderness as they set up tents and tore down the tent or the tabernacle and moved, uh, so our Lord came. Um, that's what we celebrate this Advent season and dwelt or tabernacled among us. So that's always such a, such a profound uh, truth um, as we live this Christian life. We are pilgrims, and our Lord uh, came uh, to us uh, in a similar way to dwell with us and to, to tabernacle with us, which has been just an immense um, pastoral, you know, just a, in a Christian life sense that he's he's always with us and now he's with us in his exalted state by his spirit yeah yeah Cade mentions it often because one of our professors like would mention it all the time but like one of the big themes like of the bible and kind of wording slash verse that's kind of like sown throughout is the I will be their god they will be my people and I will make you know, my dwelling among them, which is just, yeah, so cool that even all the way in the Old Testament, like this thing that he's promising and you see like in the Exodus and then like through his son that happens. And now like with the Holy Spirit, you know, like we are indwelt um, with the spirit of the Lord and just, yeah, I don't know. It always blows my mind. And I think it's just so awesome that we get to be a part of that. Absolutely. Yeah, ever since Genesis uh, 3.15, he makes that covenant of grace, right, with, with Adam and Eve. He makes it with his people. That continues all, through, all throughout the redemptive story, God's plan. And that, uh, as you said, you know, I will be their God. They will be my people. That's, that's the basic, you know, gospel plan that you see uh, throughout redemptive history. And 
Um, and now we have that climaxed in the person and work of our Lord. Yeah. Can you repeat that, that word um, that we're talking about for dwelled with us from John 14, 114? Uh, Eskinosin, I think. Okay, cool. Because, yeah, I mean, Olivia read my mind. Because, yeah, it's just been on my mind so <laughs> much recently. Just the theme of, like, um, I think it, part of it is, like, my pastor um, mentioned, I think, because we just did a Theology Together series is what we called it. And so oh, cool. He was, we were talking about, like, the doctrine of sin and, like, how in the garden, like, God was dwelling with us and, like, so when man sinned and when man was cast out of the garden, like since then we have lived in exile. Mm-hmm. And like the whole story of the Bible is a story of like God bringing his people back home, essentially. That's right. And yeah, this theme of like God promises, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I will dwell among you. Mm-hmm. And I've also just been thinking so much about like the ending of Revelation where um, uh, in verse t- chapter 21, verse 3, um, mm. I'll just read it real quick because the Greek word is the same here and that's why I was looking mm, cool. uh, while you were talking Ryan because yeah. I just love it uh, I'll start from verse 1 of chapter 21 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And yeah, um, the dwelling place, or like the tent is a, as a literal translation, skene, and then where it says like he will dwell with them, it's skenose, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the same verb there. Mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. And that's just even cool to just yeah. see how consistent even just this word is throughout mm-hmm. the entire scripture of like how God will someday dwell with us. Right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you have an ESV, mine at least has a little uh, footnote too, and it says, uh, or tabernacle. Mm. Yeah, to, to, yeah, to make the point that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's a beautiful truth, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this has been great, Ryan, and thanks for coming on. So for final words, um, just any other encouragement you have, as there's some listeners and ourselves looking to go to seminary in the future, any more advice you have on that note? And then also any encouragement for young men or not young men aspiring to be pastors one day? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, uh, invest all, uh, all you can within the local church that you're involved in. I do believe strongly, though, uh, that uh, theological schools are great and, and uh, are, are necessary. So seminaries, um, other theological schools, CCU obviously uh, is one of them. But um, yeah, those, those have advantages that a local church typically can't give you because they have men and women trained in specific mm. um, areas of, of doctrine or practical ministry that would, that would help you. So um, and that's what you really want. You want people who are specialized in a sense, you know, in, in a particular field teaching you about, you know, doctrine of God, doctrine of Christ, uh, practical theology, pastoral ministry, missions, uh, languages. And that, that, unless you have a church that I don't know of, <laughs> does, you know, not many churches have that ability. So, in, and, I, and I'm all for people being trained for ministry, formally and properly trained. So go to a seminary that you're like-minded with. Don't don't 
try to strive uphill the entire time, more or less. Go to one that's within your theological tradition of your church, personally, as well, um, and be properly trained. Um, but also, in in conjunction with that, um, don't dismiss the local church. If you do both mm-hmm. at the same time, mm-hmm. and however long it takes is however long it takes. Um, but uh, you really want. In your theological studies, you want that to be paired with practical, pastoral, Christian life ministry. To do one, to do an either-or approach, I think is could be harmful. Mm. Um, I think you want a both and. And if it takes six, seven years, then that's what it takes. Uh, but the church isn't going anywhere. The kingdom of God isn't going anywhere. The need for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth will always be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so take your time, go to a great place, uh, mm-hmm. be trained and, uh, be, and be mentored by your pastors and other people in your life. So yes, go to seminary, go to theological schools. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Any encouragement for men aspiring to be pastors? I, I love, you know, you can't, you can't beat first Timothy four. Um, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, uh, and by extension to us, he says, he says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So again, you see this external confirmation, right? Mm. Practice these things, he says, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. I mean, notice those, those verbs there, practice these things. You want to be, you know, Cade and others. You want to be myself, Olivia, Caitlin. You want to be immersing yourself you know, in sound doctrine, in the things of Christ, in the things of the church, um, so that all may see your progress. You know, perfection is not what we're after. Mm. Progression, you know, is what we're after. You want to see your progress. Am I, you know, what I was a year ago? You know, hopefully not. You know, hopefully we're all progressing um, as Christians in the faith. And then he says, one of my favorite phrases, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And if I can give any encouragement to men seeking uh, the office of, of pastor. It's watch your life and watch your doctrine. Um, you know, we have a um, kind of an axiom at our church, especially in the residency. You know, we exist for doctrine for life, doctrine for life. We want our doctrine to shape our life. And, uh, and Paul here is keep a close watch on yourself and, and on the teaching. And um, that, that's, what you, that's what you really want to be. You want to be shaped by doctrine so that, your li- so that your life possesses, it has a sense of a tincture to it, right? Where there's a warmth to you. There's such depth to you um, theologically, but there's a warmth to you. There's an experiential side that uh, people want to be with you because they want to grow in Christ-likeness. And so, um, and then he says, persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourselves and your hearers. So again, that's my encouragement. Um, just immerse yourself, practice these things for doctrine for life. Yeah. That's what I got. I just want to say thank you for coming on again. I think Olivia's yeah. about to do the same thing. But like, that was encouragement for me as well. Because I don't know if it's pastor, like lead pastor, teaching pastor. I don't know what it is that God has in store for me. Mm-hmm. But like I, like I believe it's ministry. And so um, that was just very encouraging to hear you speak everything that you've said today, um, but especially right at the end of like just to be practicing to be in the mm-hmm. word and be mentored and discipled myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just always good to be reminded of those things as well. So yeah. thank you. 
Yeah, and I would just say, like I said earlier, it's not, it's no, there's no pressure on the man, you know, uh, or the woman going into ministry. It, it's, it's all about the Lord's call, and you can't force it. So it's in the Lord's providence. Do your part, and we leave it with the Lord. So mm-hmm. yeah. enjoy, enjoy life, you know, enjoy the ministry, and see what the Lord does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like Cade said, we yeah are so thankful that you joined us for this episode and just getting mm-hmm. to hear yeah your wisdom and just experiences with life that you get to share with us. And it's fun to watch you talk about the Greek because I can see it kind of like light up your face and just the joy you actually feel. So I'm grateful for that and hope this is encouraging for other people who are listening that like Greek is obtainable. And it brings joy and just like depth into your own personal studies and walk with the Lord. So we very much are grateful that you are here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Our next episode will be on First John again, just getting to dive deeper into the Greek with you all. Thank you for listening and we will catch you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. Thanks for taking a seat with us today. We hope you were encouraged as we discussed the glory of God revealed through His Word. If you'd like to join or participate in the conversation, follow us at Open Seat Podcast on Instagram or send questions to our email, openseatconvos at gmail.com. Until next time, grace and peace.